0: Some have been gone on traveling, doing traveling, and that it's good to have everyone back. I'm glad that you're here, and it is a delight to have Dr. Vic Schrader with us today, a dear friend, but also someone who God has used in a variety of ways. You'll get to know him a little bit better as we go through the hour together yet ahead. Let's sing, We Have an Anchor, number 391. We have an anchor, and Joshua, please lead us.
1: Will your anchor hold in the storms of life When the clouds unfold their wings of strife When the strong tides lift and the cables strain Will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul it fast and sure while the billows roll Fasten to the rock which cannot Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love, it is safely moored. Will the storm withstand? Oh, God, <coughs> Savior, 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 Savior. And the cables passed from His heart to mine can defy that blast through strength divine. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the same It will firmly hold in the straits of fear When the breakers have told the reef is near Though the tempest rave and the wild winds blow, Not an angry wave shall our bar and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. When our eyes behold through the gathering night, then the city of gold. We shall anchor fast by the heavenly shore with the storms all past forevermore. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the pillows roll fastened to the rock which cannot move grounded firm and deep. Savior's
0: love. I trust that your faith is grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. We'll be exploring the subject of assurance today as Dr. Schrader preaches in just a little while. I'd like to begin in prayer and ask for God's guidance and blessing in this hour ahead. Father God, I do thank you so much for the privilege that it is to come to you before your throne of grace and realize that you have provided all that is needed for us to have an eternal relationship with you father god if there is anyone here today that has not accepted jesus christ as his or her savior that they would make that decision today the most important decision they can ever make it's an eternal decision lord and you know that and i ask you that we would be faithful to you and that they would hear and that the holy spirit would work and that The understanding of that person would be opened and that they would respond to that message of Christ shedding his blood for the remission of their sins, his literal death, bodily death on the cross as a substitute for us and on the third day, rising again as God victorious. Father, I ask you that we would honor you and worship you in this hour ahead as we sing songs, as we open the scriptures together as Dr. Schrader preaches, O Heavenly Father, as we fellowship together and in prayer like this, I ask that every aspect would be from the heart showing you honor as you deserve, worshiping you. Father, I ask you that it would be throughout the week ahead that we continue to worship in our daily lives and in our thoughts. Father God, I ask you too that ultimately Jesus Christ would be honored in this hour. I realize that there are some that are hurting among us today. I ask you for a special healing and care and guidance in their lives that ultimately, again, you would be honored and glorified as you deserve. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm looking forward to uh, the rest of this day. Our fall Bible conference started Friday night at 6 o'clock. Dr. Schrader brought a message about salvation that is the beginning of an eternal relationship with God and yesterday or last night at six o'clock he also brought a message about God keeping us secure it's not our job to try to keep our salvation he has secured it for us and this hour we'll be exploring the subject of assurance it may be someone here is not sure well you can make sure and you can know for sure about salvation and God wants that for your life at this time I would like to have us open our songbooks to number 349 complete in thee and sing that unto the Lord mm-hmm.
1: In Thee, no work of mine May take, dear Lord, the place of Thine Thy blood hath pardon bought for me And I am now complete in Thee Yea, justified, O blessed thought And sanctified, salvation wrought Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Complete Thee, no more shall sin, thy grace hath conquered reign within. Thy voice shall bid the tempter flee, and I am now. Yea, justified, O blessed thought, And sanctified, salvation wrought, Thy blood hath and bought for me, And glorified I too shall be Complete in Thee, no want supplied, And no good thing to me denied. Since thou my portion, Lord, wilt be, I ask no more complete in thee. Yea, justified, O blessed thought, And sanctified, salvation wrought, Thy blood hath pardoned bought for me, And glorified I too shall be. Savior, when before thy bar All tribes and tongues assembled are Among thy chosen will I be At thy right hand, complete in thee Yea, justified, O blessed thought And sanctified salvation wrought Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be.
2: Last night there was a perfect scripture that we read from Revelation, and it goes with our song, There is a Redeemer. And I'll be reading from Revelation Chapter 22, and I have the New King James Version, and it says this, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. We are going to sing, There is a Redeemer. When I stand in
0: Scripture reading. Please follow along as Tom reads for us, and the children's church will be dismissed immediately after our scripture reading. First
3: Good mo- oh, morning, everybody. Morning, morning. And this is a record that God hath given us eternal life, and the life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we know that he heareth us. Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor. Good to be back at Valley Baptist Church again.
4: It's been a number of years since I've been here. And uh, as uh, Pastor Matt said, basically uh, my oldest daughter married his oldest son. And uh, we have four grandchildren that we share together. And I have uh, four children and eleven grandchildren spread all over the place. Uh, so uh, that's my family background. You've you've heard enough. Let's go to <laughs> let's go to our message. And uh, you have an outline that is kind of complete, just so you can follow uh, what we're doing. As uh, the pastor said, this this uh, conference has been on these four things: on salvation, eternal security. The Assurance We Have in Salvation, which is what we're doing this morning, and then tonight on Evangelism. The booklet that you have that I wrote uh, this last year is uh, written for lay people who might be struggling in these areas. Someone who might have a question in these areas, and that's why it is written. And uh, that's basically the outline or, or theme for our conference here this week. You can be saved and not be sure about it. You can have, you wonder if what you did was correct and if you really have eternal life. Of course, you can also be unsaved and be too sure about it and think that uh, everything's okay and you're going to heaven when maybe you really are not. But we can, we can sin as Christians and we do and have doubts then about our relationship with the Lord. So salvation without assurance though is a miserable place to be. Uh, if you are a believer and you believe in God and you know that there's an eternal destiny out there somewhere and you have some kind of doubts about that, you're a miserable person. Uh, you know, Paul described the, the Christianity as an armor, you know, the armor of God. And the helmet he called the helmet of salvation. And I like to think of that as uh, we need to have our head protected Imagine a soldier on those old battlefields with swords flying and spears and shields and all of that, and somebody's out there without a helmet on. You know what he's going to be doing all day? Ducking. That's what he's going to be doing, trying to protect his head. Or imagine this Sunday afternoon, some professional ball player, some quarterback somewhere in a team is standing out there without a helmet on today. He decided to play without a helmet well that's what a Christian is like that doesn't have the assurance of his or her salvation. Uh you're always kind of ducking, you're not really wanting to hear a message. You you don't want to read your Bible too much because all of that convicts you and it's just confusing. I want to give my testimony a little bit. Uh actually Pastor Matt gave his uh, the other night and mine is similar and I think maybe to some of you also. And that is that when I was 9 years old I made a profession of faith that was not real. And then two years later at 11 years old I realized I wasn't saved and was truly converted. I don't know if you've had that kind of experience. I grew up in large churches where invitations were given. There were soul winning kind of churches. And so after every message there was an invitation to come forward and uh, receive Christ if you wanted to. My sister and I are a year and four days apart. For those of you who watched the video, my sister was on, that, was on that video. So basically, I grew up with an older sister, which means I grew up with two mothers, if you know what I mean. And so whatever she did, I did. And we're standing in church one day, and she's a year older. The invitation was given. She went forward. So guess what I did? I went forward. And uh, I did whatever they asked me to do. Well, that means I went through the motions... But I didn't know what I was doing. And even though I said a prayer and the rest, and they even baptized me later, uh, but I knew I wasn't really saved. Two years later, just at 11 years old, I'm sitting in our church up in Cincinnati, Ohio, a big church also, I'm sitting toward the back, the preacher preaches, and I knew I needed to be saved. I went all the way forward myself as an 11-year-old boy, a man knelt with me at the front of the church, And showed me how to ask Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And from that moment on, oh, it was great. I went out of church that day thinking of that verse, you know, whiter than snow. The Lord has washed me whiter than snow, and that's what I felt like. But something else happened, too. About four or five years later, somewhere around 15, maybe even 16 years old, uh, I was starting to get back into church again, because we lived pretty far away from a church, and I began to wonder if I really was saved and, and did I do the right thing. And so I went to my mother, who was a godly woman, and asked mom uh, about it. And she took me into the living room. We sat down at the couch. I could take you to the very place and the very <laughs> place where this happened. And I said, basically, mom, I, I have these doubts about my salvation. She looked at me and said, I have no doubt that you are saved. Now, somebody always says something at the right time. And that just struck with me, and I asked, how do you know that? She said, because I've watched your life, imagine, between 11 years old and 15. And I can see what God is doing in you, and I see the change in your life. I have no doubt about it. And just that truth about the fact that when we get saved, we grow. When we get saved, things change, things happen, brought assurance to my life. Well, maybe that's been your kind of experience, or maybe you're even in the middle of that kind of situation right now. We want to kind of talk about that. So uh, you have here on your uh, outline four thoughts, and I want you to follow these with me if you can. First of all, just a little broad uh, look at things here, and that is that it's possible to have no assurance. I think there is false assurance, and there is real assurance. You know, when when Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, how can these things be? Here's a man that's kind of confused about what the Bible says. Can I really understand these things? The the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip when Philip was witnessing to him, "Uh, how can I accept somebody show me? Somebody teach me these things. And that's sometimes how we feel. Now... In liberal churches, those churches that do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God or who do not believe that He ever rose from the dead, they don't preach salvation. So guess what? There's no assurance of, of salvation, of course, because they don't have it. If you're not born again and you've never believed what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not, you're not going to have any assurance about eternal life. Your need is to receive Christ as your Savior. And if you're in that kind of situation, uh, it's a dangerous situation to be in. Now, there are also many people today, churches, denominations, and so forth, that teach you can lose your salvation. We've been talking about a lot of that this, this week And so they teach that uh, if you're a Christian but sin comes into your life, and guess what folks, sin comes into everybody's life, Christians' lives too. But they teach that if that happens and you don't repent of it right away, you will lose your salvation and you won't be saved any longer. As a matter of fact, some of them even believe you can give it back if you want to. Uh, You freely took it from uh, by free will, you can give it back by free will. We've talked about some of that also. The word legalism in the Bible means someone who's working to get saved or someone who's working to stay saved. It's called following the law, trying to keep the law. That could have been the law of Moses, it could be the law of of a church, it could be the law of somebody, some theology or something like that. You can't work to get saved. So that, And you can't work to lose your salvation. Does that, does that seem right to you? God saves you by grace without your effort. You have no merit to give him. You bring yourself to him as a sinner and uh, you ask him to save you. He saves you by grace and not by your works. And that's why you can't do a work to lose it either. You are saved by the same grace that saved you. And as Pastor just said a few minutes ago, it's God's business then both to save you by his grace and to keep you saved. Now, there is is a false assurance that we can have. Titus 1.16 says this, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Someone who professes to know the Lord Jesus Christ, but really doesn't know him. I was reading in Isaiah the other night in chapter 48 and God says of people like that who swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel but not in truth or in righteousness and so you can profess that you have that you are saved and not really be it is very possible and it has happened so many times uh, you know throughout history that uh, there are a lot of people who will pray a sinner's prayer or follow what somebody says like I did at nine years old and not mean it and not truly be saved. I heard someone talking about the, the city of Chicago one time and he went back a hundred and more than a hundred years to D.L. Moody and he talked about all the professions of faith that happened under programs by D.L. Moody, Billy Graham got his start in, uh, in Chicago, and thousands upon thousands of people made professions of faith. Then there have been large churches from Jack Hiles to whoever and all of the other, and this fellow said, if everyone who's ever made a profession of faith in Chicago was real, the city's been saved two times over. <laughs> but the city's obviously not saved, because uh, there are also false professions of faith. There are those also, I've mentioned the name free grace because it's a movement going on today, Uh, but basically they say you're saved without repentance. When you get saved it doesn't make any difference how you live, there's no such thing as carnality, you have no other responsibilities, and it doesn't matter about the evidence that you have after you've gotten saved. Well if you preach that kind of thing, how do you know whether you really got saved then? How do you know that any real change took place in your life? I'm also concerned about the change just in churches today that turn into just entertainment. We don't come to church just to be entertained. And if all that church is is a concert hall or an entertainment venue, uh, and you just like it for that reason, and you come for those things, and maybe there's no invitation given, maybe uh, no gospel or a gospel light that is preached, then how do you know? that you, that God has really changed your life or you've ever come to no eternal life. Thirdly, I say here, of course, there's real assurance, and that's what we're talking about this morning. This great verse, 2 Timothy 1.12, reads like this. And, and by the way, I, we started out in, in 1 John 5. We'll get back to 1 John 5 <laughs> later, but I'm taking to a number of other places on the way. 2 Timothy 1.12, For which cause... I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, Paul says, I am not ashamed. Look, for I know whom I have believed. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Those are pretty strong words in God's word. The fact that we can know and be persuaded that he is keeping. Notice we're not keeping. But I want you to notice if you're looking at that verse or listening to me. That which I have committed unto him. That word committed unto him, the word paratheke, means I've made a deposit. This is a term that someone would make in those days. If you went to the bank with your money and deposited it into the bank, which we all do at one time or another, you are committing that to the bank to keep it, right? You trust that they will keep what you've deposited or committed to their trust that's exactly the word that Paul is using here the fact that he has committed his soul to God he's made the deposit of his soul to God and he trusts that God will keep it until that day which means until he sees God all of his life from now till then now, Peter says, uses the very same word in 1 Peter 4.19 when he says this, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls. The exact same word, paratheke. Commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. When you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are committing your souls to to the creator of all things. He's the one that made you. He's the one that made this world. He's the one that made everything in this world. Uh, what can take you out of the creator's hand? Nothing. When you commit your soul to him. So you can have assurance. And we call it eternal security, which we talked about last night. Now one, let, one thought before we leave this first point, and that is, You will always get an accusation or a comment from somebody that says, Well, if I believe that once I'm saved, I'm always saved, uh, you just believe you can go out and commit any sin you want to to then, right? Uh, You can live any way you want to and you'll always still be saved. Well, that's true and it's not true. Uh, It is true that no matter what sin we commit, we're still saved if we've truly been born again. I've, I've used David as the example. David committed adultery in a terrible way. And then he committed murder and had her husband killed. Yet he lost the joy of his salvation, but not his salvation. But uh, the fact is that a person that says, well, now that I'm saved, I'm just living however I want and doing whatever I want to, probably does not have true salvation. Because one of the ways you know you have it is your want to changed. And that want to changed at the moment you got saved. And you don't want to do those things anymore. The Bible says of those things of which you're now ashamed. Rather you want to serve God. You do it well and sometimes not so well. But your want to is to serve God. So some things to know about it. So let me ask you this. There are three questions then to ask yourself that you should ask. I want to ask you tonight or this morning. Number one. Do you have a salvation experience? Because salvation happens at one moment. Salvation isn't a class you graduate from. Salvation isn't something that gradually you grow into. Salvation is something you ask of God and you get it. You are born again. You are saved. You're regenerated at that moment. And so if I say have you had a salvation experience? I'm asking, were you born again? Were you saved? Now, in in, I have here Acts 16, 30 and 31. That's the story about the uh, Philippian jailer. And the Philippian jailer comes to Paul when God shakes the prison. The jailer comes to him and he says, what must I do to be saved, right? What must I do? In other words, there is an action in this. What, how does a person receive Christ? What do I do? If we went back to Acts chapter 2 to the day of Pentecost, they came to Peter and asked the same question after he preached that great sermon. And they said, what must we do? And, and there are four words in that context. One is, Peter said, repent. Because many times in the Bible the word repent goes along with being saved. After all, when we get saved, what are we doing? We realize that we're a sinner, and unless we get saved, we'll spend an eternity in hell. So we need our sins forgiven. So repent, and repentance goes along with salvation. They that gladly received his word is expressed there. Those that believed, and then uh, the Lord added unto the church daily, such as should be saved. So all of those words, to repent, to receive, to believe, to be saved, mean the same thing. As a matter of fact, if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you'll also see the word, they were converted, they heard the word, they turned uh, to Christ, they obeyed the gospel, they attended unto the things that were spoken. All of those words mean, have you had an experience of salvation? Did you ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save you? And if you did, he saved you. Now, The second question then I have here is have you seen a change in your life since that day that you got saved uh, do you then like the things of God that you didn't like before do you look at yourself and say I wish I could put this sin away I don't like doing that anymore those kinds of things are changes in your life all things have become new second Corinthians 517 if any man be in Christ he's a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are becoming new for those of you who like details about language old things are passed away and that language is called an aorist tense which means it's a, a very specific past tense old things passed away at the moment you got saved and all things in a perfect tense have been becoming new In other words, one-time salvation, and then for the rest of your life, things have been becoming new. You don't grow overnight. You learn things, and it really takes the rest of your life. You're not sinlessly perfect when you get saved. You have to put old things away, but now you want to. Now you want to see those old things go and you love the Lord and you're loving the things of the Lord so you want to do that the other night I was picturing this as when you get saved your life has a trajectory that goes up not flat line and it doesn't go straight up either but it's a gradual going up for the rest of your life but that line that goes up looks very jagged because there are times when you have victory over that sin and there are times when the sin has victory over you and you're learning how to put that away but you want to do it and you see your life going up and down like that but you see it going up anything that's alive grows doesn't it except my garden but any anything any other thing that's alive grows you see some kind of growth if it's alive at all and it's the same thing in the spiritual life so have you had a salvation experience and do you see that change in your life? And thirdly, I say, do you have a concerned heart? Because your heart inside you say, I'm a believer now. I have a little five-year-old grandson down in Atlanta. His name is Wyatt. He got saved at four years old. And I believe that's, a, that's pretty early, but a lot of children get saved at four and five years old. And he got saved, and uh, he came home, and he told his mother, Rachel... He said, he said, I have to be nice now because I'm a Christian (laughs) at four years old. She said, praise the Lord for that, you know, (laughs) and so did his older sister. So but but that that's what happens in a heart. Now, in Revelation 2, 4, Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus and two believers and he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Christian people. He's not saying they're unsaved. He's saying, where did the, the warmth go? Where did the love for Christ go? What has happened that you've let your heart grow cold like this? And he says to them, remember from where you came from, go back to that day you were saved, repent of what has happened in your life, redo those early things, or else you'll be removed as far as any usefulness to God. And so our heart can grow that way. And our heart is that Our heart is the the center of our affection. We need it. The Bible says, love the the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. We love him because he first loved us. We know we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Let us provoke one another to love and good works. Love is such an important part. So where is your heart and is it warm? Now before we leave point two, I want to add this one thought. I have emphasized all week week long or these days about this salvation experience. And I'm serious about this because salvation has to happen at a point of time. And the Bible is very clear about calling us to a place of repentance, to a time when you accept Christ as your Savior. And that salvation experience is necessary. Now, you don't add works to that to salvation in order to get saved in other words some people believe well you also have to be baptized if you you, you can get saved but if you're not also baptized uh, it doesn't work no you can't add baptism some people add the sacraments of the church some people add speaking in tongues or something like that there's nothing you add to salvation and the fact is you don't subtract anything either you can't take away repentance You can't take away that salvation experience. You can't take away the fact that your life is going to be changed. But we call ourselves not only fundamentalists sometimes in the the proper historical sense of that word, but also evangelical because we believe that a person has to be saved, a person has to be born again. Sometimes we use an expression, are you a born again Christian? It's really a redundancy because uh, if you're a Christian, you are born again. If you're born again, you are a Christian. But we do it to distinguish it from other uh, forms uh, of what people are talking about. And so I believe in that. I believe it has to happen. There is a, a verse at the end of the book of John, well, John 20, at and, and the end of chapter 20, Which says this: Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, but these are which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in His name. Our friend Myron Houghton used to use that verse, and uh, he he would go lecture at the Catholic uh, uh, Seminary. Excuse me in in. uh, in Denver, who which didn't believe that you had to have a personal experience with Jesus Christ, and he would use this verse in believing that you might, uh, or excuse me, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that believing you have life in His name when you accept it, when it becomes yours in that ethical element where you say, "I must do this," I must accept it. Do you know who? A.W. Tozer is. Some of you read A.W. Tozer and uh, a great American evangelist. He said this, the individual man or woman must make a choice. And on that point, we must be dogmatic. And he went on to say, there is no way that God can come to us until we consciously come to him. You come and say, I will accept that gift. I give my life to you. Now, by the way, folks, that's not a good work for salvation. To receive him, to do what he says, is to say, I can't do any work. I can't do it myself. I need you. So, I just want to emphasize that point again. Now, let's go move on quickly to the third and fourth points. There are some reasons you doubt your salvation. And we need to pay attention to these. Again, you may be truly born again and you're wrestling with these kinds of things. So consider this. One of the reasons to doubt is that sin comes into your life. And when sin comes into your life, the, the sins of commission, I'm talking about it, you begin to do those things like Paul, like David said when he committed adultery and murder, he lost the joy of his salvation Well, these things can happen. I use the reference to Romans chapter 6, and I challenge you to go back later and read this chapter. But to believers, Paul says, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead. Quit committing those sins that take you away quit doing those things that cloud the issue you can sin as a as a Christian and many people do but take those sins away and let me read verses 20 and 21 from Romans 6 that say this when you were the servants of sin you were free from righteousness what fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed the end of those things is death rather he will say Be the servants of righteousness because you're ashamed of that sin. So a thing that Romans 6 teaches that you need to understand is every one of us is born with a sin nature. Do you understand that? We're born as sinners. And we get that from Adam and Eve who handed it down to their children, who handed it down to their children, who finally all handed it down to us. We are born with that sinful nature. Now, when you get saved and receive Christ as your Savior, you receive a new nature. But you don't lose the old nature. So now, as a believer, you have two. You have that old nature, and that's why you're going to die, by the way. And that's why sin, you're still going to do those kinds of things, because you still have that sinful nature. But now you have a new nature. So the conflict is, you have an, an old boss inside you and a new boss inside you. And as someone described the old nature, the... The thing about the old boss is he's been deposed. He's like an old king who's not on the throne anymore. There's a new king on the throne, but the old king still roams the halls of your castle. And that old king still walks around inside you barking out orders. And the problem is you go and follow him. It's kind of like in the old slave days, you know, of the Roman Empire, Uh, a slave is bought by somebody else and he walks by his old master and the old master says, shine my boots. And this guy now is so used to the old master's voice that guess what he does? He shines the guy's boots and his new master puts his hands on his shoulder and says, you don't have to do that anymore. You belong to me now, not to you, not to him well, Jesus Christ is your new master. He's delivered you from the slave market. You still have that old boss inside you and he's still barking out orders. say, well, look at this and do this and use these words and all those kinds of things. And the Lord puts his hand on your shoulder and says, you don't have to do that anymore. And so sin will do that to you and understand that you don't. Secondly, you may be omitting good things. So there's the omission of things that you ought to be doing. Jude said it like this you beloved build yourselves up on your most holy faith praying in the Holy Ghost keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life keep doing these things let me point a few of them out the Bible is the word of God is it not? do you have one? do you read it? Do you know that if Jesus Christ were walking among us, wouldn't you want to stand near Him and hear what He says? Of course you would. You don't have that, but you have His words. When we read this book, it's exactly the same as if you were listening to the very words of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to you. And if you have that available to you, you need to be listening to it. And if you're not, you're omitting something that could lead you into sin because you're not hearing God's voice well God speaks to you through his word but guess what you speak to God through what prayer do you believe in prayer do you do it do you actually pray in more times other than God bless our food today are there more times that you spend with God we need that time we want to spend time with God thirdly do you ever express your faith? Do you say to someone else, I'm a Christian? Do you say, I've accepted Christ as my Savior? I tell you, there's nothing that makes you so bold and confident and assured in your, in your faith as telling someone else that you're a believer. And we need to be doing that because when we omit it, we don't have that confidence. And then, God made the church for some reason. Jesus said, I will build my church the, the local church of the, of the New Testament is the place that, where believers are supposed to be. Do you go there? Do you have one? Are you a faithful member of that? We need what the church gives us. The fellowship, the singing, the praying together, the, the hearing of God's word, all of those things are important. And you know what? Those things are the best things in life you could do. The best things reading God's Word, praying, being with God's people, witnessing for the Lord. Why don't we do that just 24-7? Because we can't, of course. We have, to, we have to sleep and we have to work and we have to do other things. But why don't we do those with every chance we get? It will keep you uh, in assurance of your salvation. And then, thirdly, I say... The problem many times is a submission to error, not only the commission and the omission, but the submission to error. Titus 1 or 1 Timothy 1 4, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Paul is constantly reminding us about false teachers. Now, folks, we live in an age where we can listen to anyone in the world instantly. I could ask you to do it, and I think everyone in this room could take out your cell phone, and within five seconds, you could be listening to anybody anywhere in the world. Isn't that right? What an age we live in. Anything that man has invented can be used for good or for evil, and that's always been true, and so there are so many voices out there to listen to sometimes you don't know who you're listening to or what they're believing and you can be subverted because of that and you add visual to that audio and visual and there are just too many things out there that take us astray if you let them God has given us pastors and that's why we have local churches too and leaders and those people we know personally and we can trust and you need to be sitting around them and under them and with them so that you know their lives you know what they believe and uh, they can help steer you through all of this uh, quagmire that we have today now before we leave that point I I don't know what time we close I may already be over stay with me for a few more minutes I gave this illustration the other night, but many of you were not here. I'm going to put three people up here on the platform, okay? Over here is Mr. Christian. This is a saved man. And over here, I'm going to put the non-Christian. He's not saved. And in the middle, I'm going to put a carnal person. Saved person, a lost person, a carnal person. Now, what is carnality? I think I have a reference there to 1 Corinthians 3, but rather than turning there, let me just explain. Carnality is fleshly. The word carnal, you know, like carnivorous, means you eat flesh. Carnality means fleshly. It means you're you're living with some things in your life you ought not to do. Now, this lost person over here, he's always carnal. He's lost... But he always does those kind of things. And if you look at him standing here, yeah, that's what lost people do. But this Christian man can also be carnal. Because this Christian man can sin. And when he's sinning and he's living carnally, he's in the middle here too. So you know what the problem is? We have a man over here that's obviously lost. We have a man over here that's obviously saved. And we have a man in the middle, and we don't know which one he is. Because the carnal lost man looks exactly like the carnal saved man. And that becomes a problem in knowing that you are saved. And when someone else looks at you, and someone else says, Well, is that a Christian? You say, I'm not sure. Because of the way they're living. And so if you're, in, if you're living carnally as a believer, you don't know and no one else knows exactly if you're saved. It's a terrible thing for a person to die in that situation and leave this life with loved ones and the rest saying, I'm not sure whether they were saved or not. So, Christian, get out of that carnal mode. And live in a way that you have the assurance and and uh, uh, other people have the assurance. Now what happens to the Christian who dies carnally? He goes to heaven, of course. And he goes to the Bema Seat of Christ. And he loses some rewards because of the way he was living. But uh, he is saved so as by fire, as Paul puts it. But don't leave this world that way. Le- leave it as a Christian. Let me go down to the last point real quickly then. Ways to, other ways or further ways to know That you have eternal life. And one is, again, I come back to that thing, it's by testimony. If someone says, Do you have it? Can you say, Yes, I'm born again. Yes, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. Maybe you don't know the date on the calendar. Maybe you don't know exactly the time it was, but you remember that experience. You know it happened to you. And can you show it by your testimony? Were you baptized? I ask that seriously because tonight I'm going to talk about the Great Commission, and uh, it's just as much of a command for us to be baptized after we get saved as it is to get saved. Not that you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven, but to be obedient and to show that you're saved. The Lord asks us to do that. Do you take the Lord's Supper when it's offered? The Lord asks us to do that. Do you go to church when you're supposed to? The Lord asks us to do that. And so... Is there a testimony? Do you have such a testimony? Because Matthew five sixteen says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Secondly, as I've said often, is there evidence of it? And now we go back to 1 John. Are you still, you still have your Bible open to 1 John? Let me show you some verses. Why? Isn't it interesting that... One of the apostles, John himself, wrote a whole book devoted to how you can know you have eternal life. We read that in in chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written that you may know. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. Hereby, we do know that we know him when we keep his commandments. One of the ways you know that you have eternal life is you read God's word and you follow it. You keep the commandments of Scripture. In chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. How can you know that you're born again? Those things that you used to love before you got saved, you don't love anymore. And new things have come into your life. That's a way to have assurance. In chapter 2, and verse 20, as well as 27, 27, He's speaking about the Holy Spirit in verse 27, the anointing. That's, you received the Holy Spirit when you got saved. At the moment you believe the Holy Spirit came in and lived within you. Here, that spirit is called the anointing. In other words, He comes the, the Holy Spirit oil, for, so to speak, comes into your life. And it says... The anointing which you have received of him abides in you, and you need not that any man teach you. But the same anointing, the Holy Spirit, teaches you all things. Do you have that Holy Spirit living in you that witnesses to you, that convicts you, that leads you? Here's one in chapter 3, verse 14. We know we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And let me tell you something about loving the brethren. It's not that we're all so lovely <laughs> and even lovable. But I think when Paul uses this, he's not just saying, I love that person or that person or that person. I think he's saying, do you love the brotherhood? Do you love what Christians are? Do you love Christianity? Do you, do you love Christian people? Aren't those your brothers and sisters in Christ now? Or do you still love the things of the world? That's what he's asking when he says this. And the very last one is chapter 5 verse 14 that we read already this morning. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us. One of the ways you can be sure you're saved is you see answered prayer in your life. You pray and God answers those prayers. And so all through this book, I'm saying there are these markers along the road where you know you can know that you're born again. And I'm going to quote three verses to you and then I'm done on the very last point. At one point, the Bible says he has given us given assurance to all men. You can have assurance that you're born again. We've looked at those things this morning. In 1 Thessalonians 1.5, it says, For our gospel came unto you in much assurance. You can not only have assurance, you can have much assurance. And then, in Hebrews 10 and other places, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. You can have assurance because, okay, the Bible says I'm saved, I must still be saved. You can have much assurance as you begin to learn more and mature in Christ but you can have full assurance and that is I don't doubt it at all I know 100% that I'm saved I know where I'm going when I die now folks isn't that how you would rather live isn't that that's putting that helmet of salvation on and you know it's protected so be like that let me give you an, a, a, a personal illustration. I was in Russia in 1990 with my father-in-law, Peter, and with Sam. And Peter could preach in almost any languages. It, those European people spoke all kinds. Of, he spoke, I think, seven languages, and he could speak them all. So he's, he's in Ukraine. He's, he, he preached in Ukrainian. In Russia, he spoke in Russian. And we were in this, uh, they, they called it a, a uh, uh, what was a conference center? No, a, a cultural center. They turned the they didn't have they didn't allow churches in the Soviet Union, so they had cultural centers. They even had a statue of Lenin behind us where we we're sitting. And here's theater type seats in our big room and a stage up front. So my father-in-law, Peter Slobodian, he's preaching up there and he's preaching salvation and that, that auditorium's full. And in the middle of I, I'm sitting over here next to Sam. Sam can understand the Russian I couldn't so he's kind of letting me know what's going on as we're going in the middle of the sermon this fellow stands up right in the middle a big fellow with a checkered shirt and red suspenders sorry I'm not talking about you but red suspenders and and a beard and hair like Santa Claus I mean he really looked like Saint Nick he stands up in the middle of the sermon and says what are you trying to tell us to do and everything stopped and dad's preaching well what are you telling us to do he says and sam kind of elbowed me you know and he's laughing a little bit well dad knew exactly what to do he just stopped his sermon and he went right to answering that man's question the perfect question to be asked isn't it what what are you telling me to do just like the philippian jailer uh, just let you know, uh, what, can I, what must I do to be saved? And Dad spent the rest of that time saying, here's how you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And those people coming out of the Soviet Union never heard such a thing. Never do it. And we had a great harvest of souls that day. People were saved. People came to Christ because of that man's question. What, must, what are you asking me to do? And folks, the Lord has asked us to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And having done that, we ought to have this kind of assurance of our salvation, and I hope that you do. I'm going to ask you to pray with me before Pastor Matt comes back. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's ask His blessing as we close this uh, service with a song and with an invitation, too. Father, thank You for the salvation we have in Christ. Thank You, Father, that we can know that we have eternal life. And, Father, I know it's it's a terrible struggle if someone is not sure if that salvation was real. And so, Father, I pray that today you would give such a person confidence and assurance that they can live in that confidence now. And maybe, Father, someone here, I know many gospel messages are being preached around the world today. But whether here or there, someone who hears the message of salvation and says, what must I do to be saved? I pray, Father, they would hear it straight and they would receive Jesus Christ as their Savior today. So, Father, whatever our need is here, we pray that you would meet it. Meet it with your word, which is truth. Meet it with your spirit that brings us that conviction. And may Jesus Christ be glorified by it. We'll thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Brother man. Do you recognize the truth when you hear
0: it? I actually believe that everyone does. I think they, that we all recognize the truth when we've heard it. Thank you, Dr. Schrader. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors, teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I have been edified today. Thank you for your ministry among us. As we close... I'm going to read John 5, verse 24, the same penman that God used to write that portion of Scripture we've been focusing on this hour, First John chapter 5 primarily, but <clears throat> he also wrote the Gospel of John in chapter 5, verse 24. It says, Verily, verily, this is Jesus speaking, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. I don't want anyone leaving this building today doubting or questioning. I want you to have assurance or much assurance but full assurance that heaven is your home once you leave this body and this earth. We don't have an altar, a a platform for you to come up and and kneel, but I'll say this. The invitation is open for you, any of you, to come to Dr. Schrader. He'll make himself available. I'll make myself available. If it's a lady... you come to one of our church ladies and talk with them. It would be the greatest privilege for any one of us to help you make absolutely sure. We don't want you to have questions about it. Do you know that you're saved? We're going to close. Dr. Schrader has already prayed. But we're going to close by singing a song Trust and Obey. While we're doing that, I'm going to ask Joshua to lead us in that song, and Dr. Schrader, would you join me in the back? And if there is anyone that needs to make some decisions in their life or your life, you meet us in the back, okay? And the song number is 385, if I remember right. It is 385, Trust and Obey.
1: not a frown The jaw. In fellowship sweet, we can say.